Chapter Five of An English Girl's First Impressions of Burma. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carol Fullerton Samsell at CloneSofLangston.com. An English Girl's First Impressions of Burma by Beth Ellis. Chapter Five: An Upcountry Station. Quote by Gray: Far from the madding crowd's ignoble strife. I dare say that Remyo is very like other small upcountry stations in Burma, but to me it appeared to be the very end of the earth. So different was it from all I had expected. It stands in a small valley surrounded by low, jungle-clad hills. The clearing is perhaps three miles long by one and a half wide, but there always appeared to be more jungle than clearing about the place, so quickly does the former spread. The station is traversed crosswise by two rough tracks called by courtesy roads, and is surrounded by what is imposingly termed the circular road. This road, but recently constructed, is six or seven miles long and passes mostly outside the clearing being consequently bordered in many places on both sides by thick jungle there is something infinitely pathetic to my mind about this poor new road wandering aimlessly in the jungle leading nowhere and used by no one at regular distances there stand by the wayside tall posts bearing numbers the lonely posts mark the situations of houses which it is hoped will in the future be built on the allotments which they represent in theory the circular road is lined with houses for remyo has a great future before it but just at present the future is travelling faster than the station and consequently the poor road is allowed to run sadly into the jungle alone its course known only to the dismal representatives of these future houses the only finished building near which this road passes is the railway station a neat wooden erection possessing all the requirements of a small wayside station and lacking only one essential feature a railway for the railway like the great future of remyo is late in arriving and so the road and the railway station are left sitting sadly expectant in the jungle waiting patiently for the arrival of that future which alone is needed to render them famous in remyo itself there is a fair-sized native bazaar consisting of rows of unpleasant-looking mat huts, each raised a few feet from the ground, with sloping overhanging roofs and open sides. The road through the bazaar is always very dusty, crowded with bullock carts, goats, and dogs, and usually alive with naked Burmese babies of every age and size, not a pleasant resort on a hot day. Besides the bazaar, the station contains the courthouse, the district bungalow, and the post office half a dozen european houses scattered up and down the clearing and the club to the anglo-indians the club seems as necessary to existence as the air they breathe i verily believe that when the white man penetrates into the interior to found a colony his first act is to clear a space and build a clubhouse the clubhouse at remyo is a truly imposing-looking edifice perched high on the hillside standing in a well-kept compound surrounded by its offices bungalows and stables about the interior of the building i must confess ignorance 
it being an unpardonable offence for any woman to cross the threshold it may be that it is but a whited sepulchre the exterior beautiful beyond description the interior merely emptiness i cannot tell at the foot of the clubhouse stands a tiny one-roomed mat hut the most unpretentious building i ever beheld universally known by the imposing title of the ladies club here two or more ladies of station nightly assemble for an hour before dinner to read the two months old magazines to search vainly through the shelves of the library for a book they have not read more than three times to discuss the iniquities of the native cook and to pass votes of censure on the male sex for condemning them to such an insignificant building it has always been a sore point with the ladies of remyo that their clubhouse only contains one room they argue that if half the members wish to play whist while the other half wish to talk many inconveniences to say the least would arise as there are but four lady members of the club this argument does not appear to me to be very convincing but i do pretend to understand the intricacies of club life i have sometimes been tempted to believe that the ladies would really be happier without a club possessing one they feel strongly the necessity of using it and though they would doubtless prefer sometimes to sit comfortably at home every evening sees them sally forth determinedly to their tiny hut there they sit night after night till nearly dark and then not daring to disturb the lordly occupants of the big house to demand protection they steal home nervously along the jungle-bordered road trembling at every sound but all the time talking and laughing cheerfully in order to convince everybody themselves in particular that they are not at all afraid of meeting a panther or tiger in fact would rather prefer to do so than not truly the precious club is not an unmixed blessing there are a few wooden houses in remyo but the majority are merely built of matting with overhanging roofs they are often raised some twenty feet above the ground and present the extraordinary appearance of having grown out of their clothes like schoolboys the house in which my sister and her husband lived was a wooden erection of unpretentious appearance i cannot say who was the architect but a careful consideration of the construction of the house revealed to us much of his method in the first place he was evidently an advocate of the benefits of fresh air and light the house was all doors and windows not one of them apparently intended to shut and not satisfied with this the builder had carefully left wide chinks in the wall and two or three large holes in the roof the front door opened directly into the drawing-room the drawing-room into the dining-room the dining-room into the bedrooms and the bedrooms on to the compound again thus we were enabled in all weathers to have a direct draught on the house and as remyo is a remarkably windy place much of our time was occupied in preventing the furniture from being blown away whenever anything was missing we invariably found it in the back compound whither it had been carried by the wind life in such an atmosphere was no doubt healthy but a trifle wearing to the nerves the compactness of the house was delightful all the rooms led out of one another and there were no inside doors consequently we could easily carry on a conversation with those in other parts of the house without leaving one's chair or raising one's voice the only occasion on which we found this arrangement of the rooms inconvenient was when we stained the dining-room floor the stain did not dry for three days 
and during that time all communication between the drawing-room and bedrooms was entirely cut off for the only way from one to the other was through the dining-room and that was impossible unless we wished our beautiful floor to be covered with permanent footmarks our architect was evidently a dweller in the plains and the uses of a fireplace were unknown to him in each of the small bedrooms he had built large open fireplaces worthy of a baronial hall while in neither of the sitting-rooms was there the slightest vestige of a fireplace of any sort or kind whatever this was a little inconvenient naturally an affectionate and gregarious family party we did not like to spend our evenings each sitting alone before our own palatial bedroom fireplace being properly brought up and proud of our drawing-room we preferred to occupy it and often as i sat shivering while the wind tore through the rooms whistling and shrieking round the furniture and the rain poured through the roof i wondered what was supposed to be the use of a house at all we should have done quite as well without one except of course for the look of the thing modern inventions such as bells appear unknown in remyo if you want anything you must shout for it until you get it when calling on a neighbor you stand outside the front door and shout for five minutes if no one appears in that time you assume they are not at home put your cards on the doorstep or through a chink in the wall and depart it is a primitive arrangement but still not without advantages if you don't wish to find people at home you shout softly we were superior to all our neighbors in the possession of a bell we hung it up in the compound near the servants go-downs and passed the bell-rope through the various holes in the walls etc to the dining-room i don't know where the bell originally came from but i think it must have come from a pagoda for it was undoubtedly bewitched it rang at all hours of the day and night without provocation once it pealed out suddenly at midnight and rang steadily for half an hour when it as suddenly stopped this was probably caused by some bird swinging on the rope but it was most uncanny the servants used to answer the bell at first when it rang in the daytime until the joke palled on them and they became suddenly deaf to its call they never answered it at night i fancy they thought when they heard it then that the house was attacked by dacoits or tigers and we were ringing for help and they deemed it more prudent to remain shut up in their go-downs when we attempted to ring the bell with a purpose it invariably stuck somewhere and would not sound we never ceased to feel proud of the possession of our bell but ceased at last to expect it to be of any practical use when my sister first showed me over her house my heart sank in spite of my ostensible admiration for where was the kitchen did dwellers in remyo eat no cooked food must i be satisfied with rice and fruits however my doubts were soon set at rest when we visited the compound for there stood a tiny tin shed inside which was a broad brick wall with three holes for fires and what looked like a dog kennel but which i learned was the oven a fire was lighted inside the oven and when the walls were red-hot the burning logs were pulled out the bread placed in and walled up how anyone managed to cook anything successfully thus was a marvel to me i had gone out to remyo fresh from a course of scientific cooking lectures intending to rejoice the palates of the poor exiles with the dainty dishes i would cook for their edification when i saw that kitchen and when i learned that such a thing as a pair of scales did not exist in the station all measuring being done by guesswork i gave up all hope of fulfilling my intention 
and looked upon the native cook as the most talented gentleman of my acquaintance the furniture in remyo is of the let us pack up quickly and remove type it is of the lightest and most insubstantial kind and has the air of having seen many sales and many owners the most prominent article in nearly every house is the deck chair faithful and much-travelled chair which has accompanied its master over the sea from england and wandered with him into many a dreary little out-of-the-way village where perchance he sees for months no fellow white man and where his chair and pipe alone receive his confidences and solace his soul in the utter loneliness of the jungle no wonder then that the deck-chair wears an important air and regards other pieces of furniture which probably change owners every six months with contemptuous scorn the impossibility of having a settled home in burma is very pathetic in rangoon the interior of the houses occasionally wear a settled and homelike appearance but in the jungle never everything is selected with a view to quick packing pictures ornaments and useless decorations are reduced to a minimum and only articles of furniture which are indispensable are seen when one is liable to be moved elsewhere at four days notice there is no encouragement to take deep root the frequent uprooting would be too painful this spirit of constant change seems to enter into the blood of the anglo-indian for the housewife is perpetually moving her furniture turning her rooms round so to speak and she never seems to keep anything in the same place for more than a week after all not burma but england is looked upon as home even the man of twenty-five years service whose family friends and interests may all be centred in burma who loves the life he leads there and is proud of the position he holds even he talks of what he will do when he goes home and in imagination crowns with a halo this little precious stone set in the silver sea this blessed plot this earth this realm this england which no amount of fog cold monotony and dreary oblivion in his after-life here ever dispels however happy and prosperous the anglo-indian may be in his exile going to england is going home our most unique piece of furniture was the piano i do not remember who was the maker of this renowned instrument but its delicate constitution was most unhappily disorganized by the climate when first it came to us it was quite a nice piano rather jingling and not always in tune but fit to pass in a crowd with a shove alas the remyo climate was fatal the degeneration commenced at once and proceeded so rapidly that in three months all was over the first indication of trouble was a serious feud between several of the notes which would persist in making use of one another's tones and would not work in harmony for example when one struck c sharp it promptly sang out high f's tone and high f being deprived of its lawful voice was forced to adopt a sound like nothing we had ever heard before then e flat became officious and conceited and persisted in sounding its shrill note through the whole of the piece in performance while g on the contrary was sulky and wouldn't sound at all now all this was of course most disconcerting to other notes which had hitherto behaved in an exemplary manner some became flurried and nervous and sang totally wrong tones or sounded their own in such a doubtful apologetic manner that it was of little effect others grew annoyed sided with various leaders in the quarrels jangling together noisily and persisting in sounding discords and interrupting each other others again were seized with a mischievous spirit they mocked and mimicked their companions 
and vied with one another in producing the most extraordinary and unpleasant noises chaos and anarchy reigned in the piano case all laws of sound and harmony were overthrown the bass clef could no longer be trusted to produce a low note nor the treble a high one and a chromatic scale produced such an extraordinary conglomeration of sounds as would certainly have caused a german band to die of envy this could not continue for ever and at last came reaction whether caused by the quarterly visit of the mandalay chaplain or by the shocked and pained expression of the face of a musical friend who called one day when i was sounding it could no longer be called playing the piano i know not but certain it is the piano was suddenly seized with remorse notes conquered their thieving propensities differences were patched up discord and jangling ceased and the whole community as a sign of real repentance took it upon itself the vow of silence not a sound could we extract from the once noisy keys save occasionally a sad whisper from the treble or a low murmur from the bass after a time even these ceased and the once harmonious and soul-stirring tones of the piano passed entirely into the land of silence End of chapter 5